0: Hey, welcome to California Haunts Radio this afternoon. Actually, I was used to being afternoon time change. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. You can find us at www.californiahauntsradio.com or you can find my paranormal group, which I own at www.californiahaunts.org. Uh related to my paranormal group, we are 35 strong up and down the state of California, but we also have members located in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii. So, if you have paranormal needs, check us out. Shoot us an email. We'll get out and help you as best we can. I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. Um, I want to thank all the YouTube subscribers. Uh, we, we hit that hundred mark, but uh, YouTube still wants us to hit more. So, let's keep doing this. Let, let, you know, let, let's keep slamming out uh, subscriptions. The easiest way to do that is to go to our website at com. Mouthful of California Haunts. And click on the videos on that page and it will take you to the YouTube site you can subscribe. The more subscribers we have, we're going to get that URL. It's coming. I can feel it. But uh, I want to thank you guys for doing that. You know, our numbers are going up and I'm real excited about it. Um, Our guest tonight uh, is is, uh, Dr. Renee Dufault. I hope I said the name correctly because I'm horrible with names. Uh, We're going to be talking about toxins in our foods. And it's something that uh, people need to be aware of because a lot of people are aware of that. And uh, since I've had congestive heart failure, it's interesting for me to go shopping. It's a lot better than it used to be because initially when I used to go shopping, it was really hard to find low-sodium foods. And it's not just the sodium. It's other stuff that they put in there that is like sodium that you don't realize is is like sodium, and and that's going to run the numbers up as well. But, I mean, the stores are getting better about carrying stuff. I know Safeway, when I first started Shopping for food, it, it was hard. I had to go to like I remember having to shop at three or four different stores just to get stuff that I could eat. Um, but uh, like I said, it's gotten better. Safeway's carrying a lot more stuff, so so was Walmart for that reason, you know. But uh, it took a while. I've had heart failure for seven years, and uh, the for I could say the first couple of years, it, it was like going to the war to try and find decent food but besides you know the sodium and stuff there you know there's other toxins in this food that we don't realize we're doing you know you always hear about the the sprays that they put on stuff when they're out in the farmer's fields you know to prevent vermin and all that from getting in the food there's also other stuff so we're going to learn about that tonight as we talk with the doctor um welcome and i hope you enjoy the show so i'm going to get things rolling good evening hi how are you? Whoop, I lost you. Lost go. your... There you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: Th- thanks for having me and, and um, uh, allowing me to, to help uh, educate folks so that they can make better choices about their di- their diet and what they buy at the store.
0: Absolutely. Like I said in the beginning... I'm a victim of that. You know, trying to find food that I could actually eat at the store for a long time was just so difficult. You oh, know, I know. Realize it. just, ugh, ugh, it's just horrible.
1: Yeah, we're lucky that there's more availability now of decent foods, uh, but it, it took a while to get there.
0: So tell us about you. Uh, you know, tell us how how you got to this point. You know, that, well, that you're looking at toxic food and stuff.
1: Okay, well, actually I was a public health service officer in the United States Public Health Service, and uh, my last assignment was at the Food and Drug Administration, and my background and training was industrial hygiene and toxicology. And um, you know, my main job at the FDA was to decommission research laboratories because I had done that type of work for the Environmental Protection Agency and Indian reservations and stuff. So cleanup work is what I knew how to do. And I kept finding mercury in the plumbing systems of these laboratories. And mm. uh, it turned out, you know, after doing some research and tracking down where it could have come from, uh, I learned that there was uh, chemicals that, that actually, in order to produce these chemicals, they use mercury. And so whenever the mercury is used, then the, it, it, there's residue in the chemicals. So mm-hmm. when the laboratories would, would dump these chemicals down the drain back in the day before we had hazardous waste regulations, then that would be how the mercury would end up getting into the plumbing systems. And it would adhere to, you know, um, dirt and mud and whatever in the cracks and crevices. So uh, then I started asking, well, okay, who else, who's beside research labs, who else is using these chemicals? Right, And it turned out the largest user at that time was uh, the corn refiners, people who made uh, corn, high fructose corn syrup, and all the different corn sweeteners in that product line. You start with corn starch and you end up with high fructose corn start, uh, syrup. And there's a lot of different uh, corn sweeteners in that product line, like um, uh, uh i'm drawing a blank Uh, Right, right 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 uh, corn syrups uh solids dextrose maltodextrose yeah there's just a whole bunch it's in my book here's my book unsafe at any meal what the fda does not want you to know about the foods you eat so anyway i have tables in there and it lists chemicals and everything because as we get older it's a lot harder to you know just bring bring stuff right to our brain you know so anyway uh to make a long story short, I, I sent out an FDA investigator to, to, to get some uh, corn syrup samples from various manufacturers, and then I sent those samples to uh, different labs, and sure enough, there were mercury residues in about half of them. And so that got me very interested in finding mercury in the food supply, and lo and behold, there was also, uh, that, may, that may not have been intentional Although Uh it is intentional in the corn syrup industry because they add mercuric chloride to the cornstarch at the beginning of the process. So, you know, they know they're adding mercury to that uh, Uh cornstarch in the front end. But uh, in some cases, there's mercury residues and lead residues, actually, in many of those synthetic food colors produced from petroleum because they get petroleum from the ground. And and so you're going to have these heavy metal residues in there. Uh, mercury, lead, arsenic, sometimes even uh, uh, chromium. So, you know, these food colors uh, that are especially heinous, uh, yellow 5, yellow 6, red 40, they're actually banned in uh, countries like Finland and Norway. And, you know, you can't even sell them there. And Mm -hmm. uh, coincidentally, Finland and Norway have very low rates of autism and ADHD. And uh, so, but in in the European Union... In uh, United Kingdom, these type, these particular food colors, if you were to uh, put them in a food that you wanted to sell in those countries, then you would have to put a big warning label, may cause hyperactivity and inattention in children. Mm-hmm. So, so what a lot of the manufacturers have done to be able to sell their products in uh, the European Union and United Kingdom is they've changed their recipe and taken out those food ingredients so they don't have to have a warning label because who wants to buy a food that's going to make your kid you know (laughs) struggle in the classroom right right yeah but we don't have any such warnings in the united states uh and uh you know there's really no protection unless you educate yourself and that's why i wrote this book and uh it's based on 12 years of research Uh, well actually more than that because i started this uh, line of research in 2005. so yeah about 16 years I've been at, been at it and um, published papers in medical journals and so on. And, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I never knew when I started this that I would end up here. Uh, mm-hmm. I had to retire early from the FDA to publish the finding of mercury in high fructose corn syrup because the agency didn't want it published. So Of course it didn't. You know, uh, and then from then on, I started a nonprofit called Food Ingredient and Health Research Institute. And that website is www.foodingredient.info, and at the end of uh, and there's the the tab is at the top of the page the menu and you can go to the healthy diet tutorial which we've used that content in three different clinical trials which is very you know as we help people learn how to eat differently mm-hmm. to to either reduce their glucose levels or 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 help their children reduce their heavy metal levels so and that tutorial goes with this book
0: sure okay so the thing that i find not to interrupt things i find interesting too is i'm an avid fisherman I love, you know, catfish. I love fishing out of the river. But the problem is there's a warning on that as well because of the mercury levels in the water. Yeah. And so
1: that's a methylmercury that, um, yeah. Yeah. And that's a different uh, species or isotope. It's a different species. I shouldn't say isotope. It's not radioactive, but a different species of mercury. Uh The mercury in the food is inorganic and it comes from using mercury salts like mercuric chloride in the, Uh, high fructose corn syrup industry or or else it comes from uh being in in petroleum you know that comes from the ground so uh the mercury in the fish uh that was a big to-do and they worried about that and you know there were there were different studies showing how it might impact Mm -hmm. neurodevelopment but uh what we've learned since that time And they're still recommending that, you know, a pregnant woman should eat low mercury fish. In other words, you shouldn't stop eating fish because you need the fish and all the nutrients. The omega-3 fatty acids in the fish are Mm -hmm. great for neurodevelopment. But you want to eat the lower level uh, mercury uh, aquatic life like shrimp and, you know, shellfish and salmon. You know, there's some really good uh, fish and shellfish you can eat and have very Mm -hmm. little uh, uh, exposure to mercury. So you want to stay away from the bigger fish and uh, because you know as uh, uh, as the fish eat one another, the bigger the fish is, then you're going to have more uh, potential mercury in those bigger fish. Uh, it's more complicated in terms of whether or not that mercury will hurt you like here in Hawaii we're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and we have uh, we have a researcher, uh, Marla Barry at the University of Hawaii Medical School and she's determined through ma- many studies that, the mercury in the ahi here is not dangerous because there's also a very high level of selenium okay. and mercury and selenium bond like a one-to-one thing. And as long as there's less mercury than selenium, uh, or equivalent, then you're not, that, that, that's good. The selenium is going to tie it up and it's not going to be available to cause harm. So, okay. you know, it depends where you do your fishing really. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, there's advantages to being way out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Because right, we don't right. have coal fired power plants, which is a source of mercury in the atmosphere that then goes into the, you know, uh, or we don't even have mercury cell chloralkali plants, or there's just no, uh, we don't have mining that goes uh-huh. on that that puts mercury into the environment. So we're very fortunate.
0: Why do they put these chemicals in the food, like the petroleum? products and stuff like that what how did that come about to be put into our food why is it Uh, there
1: well really before the the fda was even the f there was no fda back in the snake oil days you know meaning basically you people sold anything and Mm -hmm. claimed anything about you know the benefits of whatever it was they were selling snake oil Mm -hmm. you know and um well then when there were people falling ill and dying then uh there was a demand for uh some kind of safety organization to uh, manage the labeling of products so that, you know, truth in labeling, so that people knew, uh, you know, what it was that they were actually buying. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so those synthetic food colors that we're talking about that are regulated uh, and certified by the FDA to, to make sure that they don't contain more than the allowable levels of heavy metals They've been into the the food supply since before there was even an FDA. They were grandfathered in. And, um, you know, the oil industry is a really big player and has been, you know. So they, they, uh, just like the coal industry and everything, uh, they're very much active in making sure that they get to, continue selling their products and and uh, so in the us you can basically sell anything to anyone as long as it doesn't kill anyone in 24 hours so you have that acute toxic effect so we have chronic exposures over time and then we get chronic diseases like heart disease and diabetes Mm -hmm. and autism and adhd and all of these things you know when heavy metals build up in your body. And then also that they complicate your body's ability to, to metabolize and excrete pesticides. So, you know, it's not just like one factor. I mean, it's like your diet gives you certain micronutrients that you need to be able to uh, build the proteins that you've got to have to, to carry heavy metals out of your body or to Mm -hmm. break down and, and uh, uh, excrete, uh, pesticides, right? So it's a kind of a lot of different factors. And in, in, uh, I, I go over it in this book. And it's epigenetics, how what we eat determines how our genes behave. It's kind of, uh, a, uh, I'm, I guess I'm an early person in that field. And the model that I published many years ago has been since uh, published another two times and gotten better and better to now it's evidence, evidence-based. So we know for a fact overwhelming evidence that children with autism have elevated uh, mercury and lead levels, and they might oh. have other heavy metals in their blood. All of them do. And this is clinical trials all over the world. We don't do that stuff here in the U.S. because they don't want people to know. Right, and, right. and then uh, with ADHD, uh, all over the world, it's lead. You know, lead is the big deal. Lead and blood is what is causing that and so those things are are a large part of that is the food uh, the synthetic food colors and also there's the, uh, like for example uh, chlorine with mercury that has mercury in it because of the way it was processed uh, is regulated before you can bleach flour so they say how much uh, mercury you can have in that chlorine that can be used to bleach flour Mm -hmm. And so when you eat foods uh, that are made with bleached flour, you're going to have potential uh, inorganic mercury exposure and lead, too, because it's uh, allowable lead in that. So, you know, you've heard of uh, all the white foods associated Mm -hmm. with, you know, diabetes. Well, there's part of it right there. And one of our clinical trials, we found there was a direct positive relationship between processed foods, inorganic blood mercury levels, and fasting sugar so the more processed foods you eat the higher your intergranate blood mercury levels and the higher your fasting sugar so direct co- connection with the uh, diabetes there
0: well even some bag carrots i mean you go you, you you go buy vegetables and you get the baby carrots you know in a bag i mean those things even smell like chlorine
1: yeah well they use a chlorine rinse uh on on many it's perfectly legal on all kinds of produce and uh so what i do is i buy the triple rinsed so mm-hmm. in other words the law especially with organics the law requires for you to sell it as organic you can use uh you can use oops i'm sorry i meant to That's turn okay. that off. let me just turn it off i turned the button down so it wouldn't ring but now it rings anyway but uh-huh. anyway um the, the triple rinse is required, you know, like if you want to sell something organic, they, they're they allowed to use certain chlorine compounds on that organic produce to rinse it, but then they have to triple r- rinse with potable water so that it rinses all the residues. So if you see something that says triple rinsed, that's a very good sign that it's, that it's been, uh, that they're trying very hard to reduce your exposures. Hmm yeah
0: it's just amazing how much stuff is in our food
1: well not really i mean
0: (laughs) well to me it is because i'm not around like you know you're looking at it all the the time where
1: the the, the u.s uh, department of agriculture has for years been testing the foods all Uh the produce and, and uh testing the amount of residues that they find every year it's it's part it's a program u.s uh, pesticide data program, and and it goes back years. And they know that there are pesticide residues in our foods at allowable levels. And then sometimes they find them above the allowable levels. And, you know, the point is, is that the whole risk assessment system, toxicology, mm-hmm. is based on the idea that, okay, you are allowed to have so much exposure to uh, this pesticide, we'll say malathion. You can have uh, organophosphate pesticide, or this much exposure to mercury, whatever. But what it doesn't take into consideration is the co-exposures and the multiple exposures. Right. They don't consider, well, you're not just eating that one item with that one little bit of pesticide exposure. You're eating, you know, don't. <laughs> they, 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 doesn't. they don't even look at bioaccumulation or how it impacts your genes or anything. None of that is, it's a very old-fashioned way of doing it. It's outdated, and they should fix it. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a real mess is what it is. And so what we have is uh, Western disease, and we have Western diet leads to Western disease. And why? It's because we have chronic, low-level exposures over time that lead to these chronic diseases, lifelong.
0: When you talk about food colorings, is it because... um some of the foods do, that 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 we would be eating do, don't look appealing enough, so they're adding food colorings in there to 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 make it more appealing for people.
1: Well, I'd like to look at yellow cheese, okay? That the okay. food color in that is netto. and annatto does have allowable lead in it, uh-huh. uh, because of the way they make it. All right, so they're uh-huh. going to allow a little bit of lead. Well, that makes it orange. So you okay. know. Now that we've educated people and we've told them, look, white cheddar's better because it doesn't have a netto. So right. now you see more and more white cheddar available, the more people realize that a netto is not a good thing. So it's all about consumer demand. The more we can educate people, then they'll be more uh, selective on what they buy. Sure. You know? <laughs> so uh, really what the, uh, the big uh, food companies are making a lot of money on are the addictive foods. And they know, they know that high fructose corn syrup in the the sodas and stuff are addictive. They have neurologists on staff. They know. (laughs) So, and then you've got the the salty, uh, you know, chips and stuff. And, you know, uh, the vegetable oil, salty, you know, these things are very addictive. It's very hard to break away from uh, a favorite snack and uh you know eating different is practice it's a way of life it's a change in lifestyle it's a thing you have to practice you have to practice all the time and every now and then you're going to succumb to that favorite snack but if you're eating it you know a couple times a year Uh or or once a month rather than several times a week you're going to have a better health outcome
0: what do you think is the worst food to eat
1: oh man that's a tough one uh The worst food. Okay, well, when we look at the U.S. Department of Agricultural data, then and they track how much, how many pounds per year the average American eats, uh, then you know that we're eating more uh, high fructose corn syrup and more vegetable oil and corn sweeteners, vegetable oil, uh, because of all the processed foods and snacks and stuff. So. I would have to say that uh, those two those two uh, types of uh, food ingredients, vegetable oils and corn sweeteners, are probably the most the, the, the most uh, dangerous in our food supply mm-hmm. because we eat so much of them. You know, uh, as a society, the the per capita intake of these things is very high. They're not tracking how much food color people are eating. They're tracking uh, only certain things about what we're eating. So, um because of the, you know, we're we're eating like less than two pounds a year or three pounds a year of broccoli or whatever, you know? Uh-huh. And when we're eating 25, 26, 27 pounds a year of, of high fructose corn syrup, back in the day, before people started realizing how bad it was, Americans were consuming up to 60 pounds per year per person of that high fructose corn syrup. Wow. So we've really gone down. We're improving uh that's because we had and that's why the food supply has changed drastically since you know as you many years ago it was way worse but um you know you have to look at how much somebody's eating and that tells you that they the more someone is eating of something and if it's got any contaminant in it then that's going to have more exposure right so mm-hmm. it's the amounts the amounts of what we're eating uh and uh and then what goes in line with that is okay. What if if we're if we're eating all these sugar sweetened beverages, which is really corn sweeteners, then what are we not eating? What did we right. used to eat? That, <laughs> and w- with our children, that we we used to feed them milk, and 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 they ate a lot, had a lot more calcium intake. But now they're eating juices and uh-huh. juice boxes, and you know these things instead of milk, right? And uh-huh. uh, people think that milk is bad for you. Well, it's not. It you know it's a source of uh, calcium, and you need to have uh, some significant calcium in your in your diet because calcium not only supports your bones but it supports particular uh, certain genes. Uh-huh. You know, like genes that uh, that are required to break down and uh, excrete uh, pesticides, organophosphate pesticides rely on calcium, right? The genes that uh, help you, uh, have the sticky protein for your memories that keep your memories on, you know, intact is calcium dependent. Okay. So we have to have enough calcium in our diet. And, uh, you know, so some of these things that have come into our, our diet is through fast food and all that is just, uh, devastating because at least the lack of nutrient we're malnourished a lot of people are really not uh that's why they get a western disease uh-huh. because uh-huh. They, they end up not having the proper nutrition to be able to to break down the the toxins basically that's it in a nutshell man
0: what about people that drink soy milk and stuff like that i mean is, is that as nutritious as regular milk
1: well, they're adding calcium to almond milk. And, you know, so I guess it would just depend on the person. Uh, if they uh-huh. had a preference for a different kind of milk, you know, uh, if it, as long as it's got the calcium, you know, a lot of uh, nuts actually are very rich in calcium. So, it, you know, maybe they don't even have to add it. Uh, so that's, you know, I, I think that uh, just looking for calcium rich foods, it's, uh-huh. Leafy greens, broccoli, salmon. You know, I mean, there are a lot of calcium rich foods that aren't dairy, you know.
0: Sure. So, what is a uh, food that is marketed as or is, is thought to be really healthy, but really isn't all that healthy for people?
1: Gluten free. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs>
1: they can put gluten free on anything, like water. Bottled water can have gluten free on it why mm-hmm. they haven't done that yet i don't know because there are people that are actually buy it because it says gluten-free but <laughs> um yeah that's a real devastating thing that's a trend because now we know uh that uh, gluten a gluten-free diet actually leads to more processed food intake and and more heavy metal exposure that study's been published by a guy up at the mayo clinic uh, so um you know that's you know gluten-free is very very processed and and there's just nothing good there for you so you know that's what can you say
0: right right yeah I know I pointed out to friends of mine that you know where they have kids and she says oh this is all gluten-free but I said yeah but look at the salt in there you know you don't yeah. realize the trade-offs that, that that's actually you, know, you have to read the labels it's a pain in the butt but I mean you have to read the dang labels
1: right and the Speaking of salt, you know, the Institute of Medicine issued their one of their first salt reports, I believe was 2010. I could be wrong, but that's the first one I remember. And you can't really find an earlier one.
0: Mm-hmm. But they
1: have been recommending for years to 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 reduce the amount of sodium chemicals that are being put in our food supply because there's a direct link. It's a cause of hypertension. Mm-hmm. And um It's only this year, right this year, after, you know, several salt reports have been the same recommendation, you know, Uh, and now the Biden administration has announced that, you know, they're going to, FDA actually came out and said, we're going to recommend lowering the salt, allowable salt uh, in foods, which is a huge, huge um, step forward. Because uh-huh. all these years, you know why it took them so long, 18 years or what, eight years, eight years and probably longer. And we've known about hypertension. You know, it's a risk factor for so much. Uh, yeah. It, it, and, you know, with the whole COVID thing and all these uh, uh-huh. underlying conditions that people make more uh Uh, uh, susceptible to dying from COVID or the flu or whatever, you know, part of this whole thing, they're pushing vaccines, vaccines, and that's all good. But, you know, really, they really should have been way before any of this is getting people to, to eat a healthy diet. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can turn hypertension around, you can turn uh, prediabetes around, you can, you can stop that in its tracks, you know, liver, liver uh, uh, disease can be stopped and turned around. There's so much pe- that can be done with healthy diet. Unbelievable, just stop t- eating the toxins, man. And then, you know, you, you can n- turn everything around. So um, it, I can't fathom why there, there's been absolutely zero effort. You know, they talk about reducing fats, reducing sugars, and, but uh-huh. they don't talk about what sugars. Uh-huh. They, they leave it to the consumer what the sugar 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 you know honey's the sugar you know
0: but isn't <laughs> it so they because i mean you got so much money involved backing all this stuff all this junk you've got the mcdonald's of the world you got the burger kings you got all these other places with all this junk food that people crave like you say you yeah, crave it it's you know, you see the mcdonald's commercial you could chase the cheeseburger i mean yeah. there's just so much money backing this stuff that I I think it would be really difficult to try and get everybody back on track to a healthy diet.
1: Well, no, it's not difficult. I'm working at the community level with some groups of people that are uh, trying to turn things around. And it can be done. It takes commitment. Like any, Mm -hmm. you know, like say a 12-step program people do for alcoholism or narcotics uh, to try to change, to get that out of their lives. You can do the same thing with uh, food. It's the same kind of thing. You need a support group. You need to have a, you know, use this book and do the free online tutorial. Uh, get uh-huh. yourself a, a, a book study group. I'm happy to, to uh, help uh, people lead those efforts free. I'm not charging. And uh, the bottom line is um, these tools are available. And, you know, you get yourself a little support group going. You learn about the food supply together and then you stay together and and, and uh, uh keep working on your uh on on your diet you know one time of one meeting a week i mean it literally takes that i think it takes uh having a support group to to successfully if you can do it in your family and you have enough family members who are on it you know however you do it you need a group of people to to support one another through this, because it is a very difficult thing to change a lifestyle uh, diet.
0: What I found so amazing was for me, I was a junk food eater up until the point that I I was diagnosed with heart failure. But once I made that change, it was hard at first because stuff tastes bland. You know, you cut back on your salt, it starts to taste bland. I use garlic to replace a lot of the salt that I use. But what's interesting is as, as the time went on and I got used to not having that salt in my food, when I would go out to restaurants, I couldn't believe how salty the stuff tasted.
1: Right. Well, you change your, your, your all you're doing is condi- reconditioning your taste buds. Mm-hmm. And once you've stopped something and you've done it, you stopped it for a long time, then when you have it again, you'll feel sick. You'll either feel sick or your stomach will be upset or you will know that that wasn't good you know, so you have to retrain, you have to retrain your uh, everything, you know, it's just retraining your body, and once you've been able to do that, then you will be able to stay away from these uh, devastating foods, but it does take a hard work and effort, you know,
0: well, that's the thing, and it's going to take, you know, in order to get people to To do this, it has to take a lot of retraining and information out there. You know, more information than, than, like you say, they're not putting out enough information about what's in these foods. And there's a reason for it. The reason
1: for it is that they have money to be made. Mm -hmm. Disease pays. Health does not pay. There's no money in health. And so as long as they can charge, uh, you know, you have a diagnosis and they can charge Medicare or whatever, they're making money. Office visits, you know, what's a person there for? You can do an annual physical and get, you know, I go in once a year for my blood work and that's all they can get out out of me because I'm, you know, I don't have any uh, disease conditions. Right, right. So I'm not doing medication or anything. So where's the money in that? Right. (laughs) They don't, my dentist, I don't want to say anything, but bottom line
0: is,
1: (laughs) bless his heart, he still does my teeth every year and cleans them and stuff. But he told me I'm not making any money off of you. (laughs)
0: yeah <laughs> and the other so, uh, factor i think is money too for the consumer because you know when you start to look into buying healthier foods and stuff it's more expensive than than than, than the other stuff so it's hard it's harder on people's pocketbooks to stay on that kind well, of diet too I,
1: I don't think it is more expensive because okay uh, once you start eating the whole foods and you cook like a stew or a soup and it lasts you for few days and you're eating oh yeah that's true you, you're eating less You're eating less than you ate when you did the junk food because you were starving. When you ate junk food, you were starving. You you were malnourished. Mm -hmm. You weren't getting. So you would eat more and more because, hey, your body needed some fuel. And so once you start eating properly and you cook, you know, you're actually cooking, you're eating from cooking from scratch and you're doing the whole food thing, then you and you're planning your meals more because you want to eat healthy, right? You don't want right. to be caught hungry. So you you make, make a stew or a soup and that lasts a few meals and, you know, you're planning and really you're not, I, I spend way less on the food than I ever did. And also I do a garden. I can do a garden real easy here in Hawaii, but even if you're just uh, can do a summer garden, if you're putting up stuff, canning and putting up stuff, you know, and that's a part of your, uh, you know, say you do pickles and you know, you're, you made it, you, you grew the cucumbers and you did that yourself. That's a, uh, you know, can follow you all year till the next right. season, you know, and that's healthy. Right. So uh, there's ways to eat healthy that are not expensive. And uh, they're better for you. There's nothing bad about uh, you get more exercise out there in a garden. And, and, uh, you know, uh, it it just uh, that whole uh, thing about it being more expensive is not true.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Um, When you started doing research into this, because obviously, you know, it was part of your job. You know, to, to look into this stuff, but like you say, in order to, in order to get this book out, you had to retire because I mean you were obviously well, going to piss people off. It,
1: it wasn't this, this book. This book, okay. it was a, a, okay. a, a paper in a, a medical journal okay. that basically okay. said, you know, we did a study and we found mercury in high fructose corn syrup. That's why I had to retire because I wanted sure. to do that, tell the world that sure. we had this problem, absolutely. And and the book came way later after mm-hmm. many more, uh, several more publications. Uh, and then, uh, once we had a, a, more complete picture, you know, then I can, then I could put it in a book that was for lay people that they could read that and study it and do reading guides with it. I have, you know, I have a whole system in place sure. so that people can access the material and understand it. And, uh, the bottom line is, uh, well, I taught special ed for one thing for many years mm-hmm. you know, after I retired from public health, I went into teaching. So I know how people learn. With different skill sets, and so uh, the bottom line is, um, uh, you can learn. Even somebody with a low level of reading can learn with proper support. It 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 can be done, and uh, uh, I got stuff on my tutorial, you know, videos to watch and activities to do in the kitchen, and you know. it's it's it, it, you know, you can't just sit there in a book and read, read, read. You've got to have mm-hmm. activities and things to do that put, put bring all the information together and give you perspective. And that's that makes learning fun. So if you're doing like a study group and you're doing all of these activities and you come together once a week and you can talk, right. you know, it's not even uh, hard to do in that circumstance.
0: It does help. I know like, like in my household, my mother had diabetes and it was really difficult because my father did not. And so she was having to figure out foods for herself, but he didn't, you know, he didn't want to have to deal with eating those foods. So if you do have a a, a support system, it's great. Like with me, my friends come over to have dinner. They know that I have to have low sodium on everything. So they're Mm -hmm. open to it. You know right. to where they're helping me prepare the meals and stuff so it really does help to have that support because it really is difficult to make that conversion when you when you when you have different appetites in the house you know
1: all oh, right yeah no and there's ways to uh widen your diet so that mm-hmm. everybody's needs are met uh you know you can have uh, sweet things without sugar <laughs> sure and the more you get yourself off of sugar the, then you find out there are a lot of things that are really sweet that they're natural you sure, know, And they're very enjoyable. So, uh, you know, getting that craving under control by, you know, uh, eliminating the sugar from your diet. Uh, and then when you do have something that's naturally sweet, it really tastes good.
0: Now, would you say that if people actually were able to get tested for this stuff and actually realized how much of these chemicals are in their body, they'd be shocked?
1: Yeah, they're not doing that. They, they mm-hmm. could be doing that. Biomarkers is right. part of your, if they wanted to change the way we practice medicine, instead right. of pharmacopoeia being the driver,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: pharmacopoeia, sell, sell, drugs, sell, drugs, sell, drugs. If they wanted to just do the biomarkers and say, okay, you know, you have elevated lead of this, that, heavy metals, and, or your pesticide intake is really, you know, mm-hmm. you're having uh, uh, pesticide exposures, they can do that. We know how to do that. We have studies, numerous studies, hundreds, thousands, millions of studies where we've been able to pull that kind of data uh, out of of human beings. So if they wanted to, you know, do that kind of assessment when somebody comes in once a year and then develop a diet to help them reduce those exposures. And then, you know, when they measured the glucose or the... sodium or, you know, whatever levels, uh, HDL, you know, high density lipid or calcium Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, then it would have some kind of relevance. Right now, the relevance is, uh, they don't talk about the relevance. You go Mm -hmm. in there and they say, oh, you got hypertension, we're going to give you, uh, um, you know, some something to bring your blood pressure down, Mm -hmm. you know, or you got high cholesterol, so we're going to put you on a statin. And, and now we know that statins uh, don't extend your life at all. People, uh-huh. uh, most people don't even know that. And yet they're taking statin and the, and the literature is clear. Uh-huh. And when I say the literature is clear, I mean many, many studies show now that statins do not prolong your life. And that, you know, uh, and what do they do for you? Are they doing something behind the scenes that's even making things worse? You know? So uh, there's another way, another way to... Uh, to look at disease to treat disease and to eliminate disease uh-huh. Uh-huh. and they're not doing it because That's true. the 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 money uh the bottom line and the medicines and the pharmacopoeia do you know that before there was an fda before we even had fda there was u.s pharmacopoeia i had no idea yeah they've been around since the late 1800s and they were the ones who were uh who were managing any kind of, uh, oversight on ingredients or manufacturing uh-huh. practices of this or that. Then F then FDA came along and all they were given power to do was labeling truth and uh-huh. labeling. And then, uh, then they would recognize some things as safe, even if they had heavy metal in them, grandfather, man whatever. And, um, so now, the, guess who's in charge of, of, of the monographs and, 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 you know, determining the safe manufacturing practice, the monograph for all these food ingredients? U.S. Pharmacopoeia. So not oh. only do they de- determine uh, the manufacturing guidelines for medicines, they also now uh, food ingredients. We don't even have a third party. That's a trade organization. Hello? A yeah. trade organization? and You know? Uh, and the whole world goes by what they say. They've been around since, you know, I mean, that's obscene when you realize it. <laughs> it's just obscene.
0: That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, it, I mean, when you can get it, if, if they did do the testing, think of the wake up calls it would be for people. You know, the yeah. people could actually see the results right in front of them going, you know, hey, you got all this metal in your system or, or you got this toxic other stuff in your system. And right away you'd be like, well, i got to make changes, but
1: yeah, they're not doing it. Well, like you say, they're not doing it. Well, the bottom line is if you got got uh, high sugar levels, high glucose, you uh-huh. have high mercury, period. Sure. That's what the literature says. Your doctor may not have gone to medical school when this finding came out. So he doesn't right. know. Right. But that's what's happening. Hello. Uh, or it could be you have high uh, L, uh, pesticide exposures because that's also correlated to diabetes. So, you know. Uh, but for sure, you're going to have high mercury and, uh, you know, there's just specific things that we now know as a fact, these are facts. (laughs) And, uh, like I said earlier with autism and ADHD, you know, the heavy metals involved in those Uh things, which, you know, a child's life is at stake. Hello. 30 something percent of people in prison are ADHD, you know, and lots of kids with ADHD just drop out of school. Uh So, you know, where's the ethics in that? Hello, when you can turn that around, you know, that's just wrong. It's morally wrong.
0: And let's face it. If you take a cucumber that you buy in the store and you take a cucumber that you pull out of your garden and you taste them both, the one that you pull out of your garden is going to taste 100% better than the garbage you're buying at the store.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be fresh. There's no doubt about it
0: there's no comparison
1: yeah that's why we need to get people gardening that's uh, we're doing that more here in hawaii i'm working on some projects to get people gardening because uh, once they start gardening and that uh it's very healing just a garden kind of like doing pottery you know or mm-hmm. therapy garden therapy they could call it garden therapy because <laughs> it is very healing and then you start eating from your garden and you know uh, like green onions my god you put them in the ground once you don't pull them up and, and eat your entire onion. You just clip off the tops. They keep growing. Right. clip off more tops. So you always have green onion. You never have to buy green onion ever again at the grocery store, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, there's ways of, of gardening so that you're, uh, as you're storing things and in freezing things and, you know, just uh, having a regular supply of things, Right.
0: So the answer really to all this is that, you know, try to try to buy healthier foods. But by doing your own gardening and stuff, you're a lot better off because, you know, you're not put that stuff's not going into the food.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I like I say, if you don't if you live in an area of snow Uh then make sure you get your your summer garden going. Uh, Canada is at a real advantage in in, uh, Greenland. Iceland, uh, Iceland, uh, you know, these uh, upper northern type hemisphere uh, countries, they've been growing things in greenhouses for years. So mm-hmm. weather is never an issue for them. And, uh, you know, as everybody else is really, you know, struggling with food supply, and there will be more struggles with food supply, believe it, <laughs> believe it. These, are, these countries are going to be at a real advantage because they've already been growing in all kinds of weather, you know? So, uh, yeah.
0: What do you think, um, other than vegetables, let's, let's talk about that. What do you think is one of the safer foods to buy?
1: Well, anything that, uh, uh, okay. If you can buy organic fresh, buy organic fresh. If you're in the grocery store. If you can Mm -hmm. go to a farmer's market, a local farmer's market during the season where it's local farmers that are, you know, hopefully producing. uh, They they don't have to uh, put any a lot of pesticides on it because they're not Mm going to ship it away. They're going to sell it right away. Mm -hmm. So that's a good chance that you're going to reduce your pesticide exposure. So local farmer's markets. Uh, and then if you don't and then you want to do the or of course garden you know, get your own garden yourself uh, organic in the grocery store whenever possible uh frozen
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you can't get it fresh, get it frozen if it's frozen organic, right mm-hmm. uh, and then um, so that as far as fruits and vegetables go right. that that's the the what I recommend and then um, anything else you know like if you're going to bake a lot you've got to have organic flour and just okay. keep it in your refrigerator in a sealed bag cuz flour is a source of pesticide you do know that wheat the wheat that goes into making flour if it's conventionally grown it's allowed to be in grain silos silos for up to 5 years
0: Ooh, and they yep. put
1: malathion on it you know More than once, many times through that five-year period, they treat the wheat to keep down the grasshoppers and the eggs and the larva. So how is that different from organic? Well, organic wheat has to be stored in a refrigerated silo. And they can only keep it in there for a year, right? Different regulations. So when you're buying organic flour, it's going to go bad if you don't keep it in the refrigerator. Because there's Mm -hmm. no chlorine to kill the mold, right? So you want to, and there's no pesticides. So you want to keep it in a plastic bag in the refrigerator. I don't bake a lot, but if I want to make a banana bread or something, I use the organic flour.
0: And um,
1: so, yeah, just a few things, you know. Uh, A few changes by uh, cold-pressed oils. Cold-pressed olive oil, cold-pressed sesame seed oil. Because there's no chemicals involved. It's a mechanical process. Okay. And uh, you want to buy organic if possible, but cold-pressed for sure. And mm-hmm. then um, uh, stay away from all other vegetable oils. Make your own salad dressing. Use the cold-pressed. and Or you can use Bragg's. You want to make kind of an Asian thing with uh, olive oil or sesame street seed oil or whatever. Really easy things. I mean, you don't even have to make it. Just do a few drops of brags, a few drops, of <laughs> you know, and it's really good. It's a be- better than anything you could buy in the store. So, uh, and these are single ingredient items, right? So uh, coconut oil is really good, a good substitute for frying things. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to fry something, fry it in coconut oil, uh, virgin, cold. Uh, they don't press uh, coconut oil. But anyway, uh, yeah. That's good to, to, to do. And coconut is a pretty good thing to, you know, they have, it's, it's in a hard shell. So it'd be uh-huh. really hard for pesticides to, so definitely uh, do that. And um, so those are things right there. And far, as far as sweeteners go, I do the uh, grade A and B maple syrup that you can uh-huh. buy real cheap at Costco. Uh, and I just don't I don't eat a lot of sweeteners, so it's you know I have a whole thing of it that lasts me a year or more too even. Um, and um, honey, you know if you can right. get local a lot of people honey, use honey yep. local honey um, so there you there you go with your sweeteners, uh, and they're all single ingredient items and they're not heavily processed whatsoever. So compared to you know something like sugar that's uh, granular or whatever that there's going to be some processing involved. In mm-hmm. that, right. So that's my advice.
0: Does it depend on what company makes it? Like, I mean, if you look at the label and it says Procter and Campbell on there, I mean, that's going to be something that's going to be a red flag right there.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing that's all these big uh, monopolies have already taken over and bought all the organic. Mm-hmm. A lot of the organic companies are bought up by the old nasty guys So what are you going to do? I mean, it's a a, a leap of faith as to whether or not you're getting what you're really getting, because there's not enough inspectors and investigators to go out and see if people are doing what they say they're doing. That's Mm -hmm. always been a problem forever, as long as there's ever been, you know, it is what it is. That's uh, human nature, cut corners and make more money. And uh, so that's why I stress the single ingredients Mm -hmm. and uh, local whenever possible but um, growing your own. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, then you're reducing your risk. You, you really are.
0: Um, on, on average, you know, with the studies that you've done, and I'm just saying just average Joe, I'm not saying, you know, like somebody that's sick already, but on average say a person that thinks they're is reasonably healthy, how much uh, mercury and stuff would, would be in their body at this point?
1: Well, um, you know, the U.S. uh, Centers for Disease Control has a data set called NHANES, National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. And they collect blood from Americans, you know, thousands every year. Uh And they do measure it for biomarkers and stuff. And so there are many studies out there. And like when we did our study to show, to see if there was a relationship between uh, glucose which is sugar in your blood, Mm -hmm. and uh, inorganic mercury, we looked at NHANES data because they had both sets and it was thousands of data points. And the correlation was the same as what we found in our little pilot study, where we actually had participants and drew their blood. So the NHANES data set is available. And so you can really uh, use that and mm-hmm. NHANES and is actually, CDC is actually using a method developed by a, some of our scientists to uh, determine inorganic mercury in blood because there wasn't a really good method for determining that particular species. You They would uh, do whole total mercury, which would include mm-hmm. all the different mercury species. But we did develop that method and it was published and CDC now uses it. So, um, you know uh, that's what we have. Uh, we, we can only hope that, you know, it's a good data set. Other Uh countries have similar, Korea has one China, you know, that where they draw blood biomarkers is what it's called, uh, uh, from their people and, and try to keep track of stuff. And also, you know, the people that, that give their blood, they do survey, fill out a survey and they get their blood pressure taken and they diet. you know, what kind of diet they're eating. And that's how come we know as much as we do. Mm-hmm. And across the world, all over the world, you know uh, that we know Western diet leads to Western disease because there's all these other countries that are doing the same thing, and um, yeah, I mean this is uh, this is real data. This is facts, man. We're talking facts, and so uh, I think if anybody really wanted to educate themselves, just do a little reading. You know, my book is is got I don't know maybe. Uh, 69 to oh maybe 50 pages 50 pages of references in the back every chapter has references you know and they're all uh articles and medical journals and so on so uh you know everything I say is backed up by science so uh-huh. uh, you have to be careful what you read because there's a lot of books on the market that don't aren't necessarily referenced really well they're not science-based so um, yeah, it's just a matter of uh, being careful and selective about what you read. And and you can go to PubMed, uh, P-U-B-M-E-D, and that has a, it's a database at the National Library of Muse- uh, Medicine. And you can do any kind of keyword search and pull up articles and find out, you know, a lot just by reading. That's what I did when I started out. You know, all the skills I have now, I got over time because I... Read and I read and I read and I learned and I learned and I learned. Uh, So, um, my doctorate's in health education with a focus on nutrition, Uh and um, I didn't have all this information just overnight. You know, it's a matter of studying. And anybody who's interested can do that. That put the time in and do it and learn it. And actually, we're starting a, a thing called food ingredient safety specialists. Uh-huh. Uh, certification where, you know, if people, uh, put together a study group and they, uh, do the book and the online tutorial and they, they prepare themselves to take an examination and, um, they pass that exam, then they'll become a food ingredient safety specialist. Somebody who can go in and, and help people clean out their cupboards and get rid of stuff they shouldn't be having in their cupboards and help them learn how to, uh, put together, uh, menus and uh, grocery lists and, and learn how to shop and read labels and all of that and uh, we're starting it here in Hawaii we have several people that are now about ready to take the exam they've been studying for months and um, where you know you anything you start locally and develop a community-based model and you can publish that and then that can uh, uh, you know other communities can follow but mm-hmm. right now we have professions of people that are completely un able to provide the information that you've got to have in this day and age. And Mm -hmm. many physicians are not up on epigenetics. They don't know anything about it. And um, so it's a, you know, it's a crapshoot going to any kind of doctor. And in fact, uh, there's a group that's using my textbook uh, in a course they designed. They use my book as a textbook and then they created a workbook they're charging a hundred and something bucks for. And then when you go through their course, you get CEUs, continuing education units. And it's for people who are diabetes educators and nutritionists. So, you know, uh, that, you know, when I saw that people were doing that, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, my they're not even the source, man. I'm the source. So I started the food ingredient safety specialist uh, uh, certification process and, and, uh well when as soon as we get enough people certified then they'll be members of the board we already have a website and everything but uh i can't very well have people on the board that you know i don't care what their degrees in if they don't know how to uh, read a food ingredient label and know how to teach people about healthy food and gene environment interactions i don't care if they have an md or whatever you know they're not qualified they got to pass the test they got to be able to go into someone's kitchen and uh, really help them straighten out their food and their diet. So that's a whole new set of skills, and there aren't people that have those skills.
0: Well, it's good that there's people like you out there because the word does need to, get, you know, get out about this stuff. Because, like I said earlier, pe- people don't realize just how much, you know, how, how many toxins are in their food.
1: Yeah, they really don't. And I urge anyone out there listening, if they ha- if they're motivated, they're interested, they have a nutri- uh, interest in nutrition and disease prevention and they want to start a little business on the side or something, Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, and they can get a group of people together to do a little uh, study group, or even they want to do it on their own, uh, however they want to do it. It's easier to do it with a group. But, you know, every single county needs more than one food ingredient Mm -hmm. safety specialist. And they could be working with community health educators. Community health educators could be doing this. That mm-hmm. would be another tool in their toolbox. Uh, but you know, um, you know these these age old systems that are in place are not in place to prevent disease. Mm-hmm. They say they're in place to prevent disease, but they don't they' what they say and do are are not uh, what they do does not lead to the prevention of disease. Hello <laughs> So
0: absolutely, absolutely. My gosh, this hour went by so fast. I thank you so much for coming on. I've learned so much from you. Good, and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm good. definitely going to be reading your book and, and and some other stuff, you know, to do more research on this. Because, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm conscious of you know I'm conscious about it because of my heart failure. So you know, I'm always uh, I'm always a label reader. I'm the kind of person people get mad at in the aisles because I'm forever you know got, yeah. got, got my nose buried on the labels. But I mean, yeah, I mean I'm. Uh, you've you made me even more open-minded to this stuff to look into it. So I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Yeah. I'm happy to be here. That's my job. I educate. I'm, I'm retired now. You know, I don't even teach. I do mentor students at the high school. One-on-one as a like a volunteer mentor, but I don't do, I'm not, I'm just doing the, this is my retirement here. I'm just kind of educating.
0: <laughs> That's great though. It's wonderful. How can people find you?
1: Uh, Well, they can go to the foodingredient.info website and there's a little form you can fill out uh, to contact, I believe, or maybe that's just a donation form. If you wanted to contact me personally, you could go to reneedufault.com and that website actually has a form you can fill out uh, for more information. Uh, I'm easy to find. You know, um, if you look up any of my articles on PubMed, it'll put my email right there. I have several emails. And so, you know, I'm always the primary author. And Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very easy to find me if people want to find me.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. I'd like to get you on again at a later date to talk about, you know, more about this stuff. Because people need to be made aware.
1: Yeah, well, get that book and and read it. And uh, do the online tutorial. And then... uh, you know, you'll have more questions and, and I you definitely
0: know. will. I'll definitely do yeah. that. Definitely. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. You're I welcome. appreciate it. You have You're a welcome. good weekend and everything else.
1: You too. Hello. All right. Bye-bye.
0: Okay. I learned a lot. That was fantastic. And uh, I know I'm never going to look at those labels uh, the same way again. Like I have been, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. Tomorrow we are going to have Rebecca Pittman on. Uh, who has written a book about the Lizzie Borden house and and Lizzie Borden in general. And so we're going to be talking Lizzie Borden tomorrow. So I'm excited about that. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it with five people because we're equal opportunity here. Also, I'm trying to get as many YouTube subscribers as I can get. And right now we're at a nice hundred. I'd like to get a lot higher than that. Uh, Plus, you know, we have that, that URL thing going on. So... I thought it was 100 was the uh, limit on the URL. It has to be more than 100 before they'll give me a dedicated URL. So you can Google us. You can search for us. You can look for us via episode. You're not going to find us no matter how much you try. The only way to do that is to visit our website at www.californiahauntsradio.com. Click on the video that's in, in the front. It will take you over to the YouTube site where you can subscribe. The more subscribers we have, the more, uh, well, obviously the the more views, but also, we'll be able to get that dedicated URL. And I think if you guys get on there and take a look at the different shows that we've had over the past year and a half, that you're going to like the content on there. Because we do we do have guests like like Dr. Default and, and other people coming on this show to inform. So we're not only about ghostly stuff or, or demons or things like that. We're, we're, we're here to inform. I'm a journalist. That's, a, that's what I do for a living. So I like to change it up and get guests like this on. Anyway, I want to thank again, thank you guys. As you can see, there's a ticker running along the bottom of the uh, video, and that's because California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team is a nonprofit. So everything that goes into the making of these videos, uh, whether it's Streamyard to push these things out, whether it's RSS to push them out as podcasts, you know, whether it's the equipment, whether it's the internet costs, whatever, it all comes out of my pocket. And it gets pricey after a while. So if you could find it in your heart, because I want to keep these shows coming to you guys. I really do. And and I, I enjoy doing them. I really, you know, I, I really sincerely enjoy doing them. So if you could kind of find it in your heart to donate to paypal.me at California Haunts, that would be great. It all goes back into production of this show and equipment for my paranormal team so we can get out and help people with their paranormal needs. Anyway, I want to thank you. I will be back tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific with... Rebecca Pittman to talk about Lizzie Borden. You guys have a good evening.